Hey, it's Hayden with the Bible for the Basic Life podcast, and today we begin our walk through the prophetic books individually. I'm going to do my best to maybe rearrange them somewhat uh, so they make a little more sense, mostly chronologically, but also pairing up a couple of them uh, that have uh, similar topics, and then a couple of them we don't really have any conclusive dates for, so I'll probably just talk about them at the end. Once again, we start off in the 8th century BC as we enter the time of the prophets, and as we zoom in, we'll see a little bit clearer what's going on. During the beginning of this century, uh, although Assyria is still kind of a big power in the region, they've kind of been in a lull. Uh, they've had different uh, rebellions and problems at home that have kind of brought their attention away from expanding their borders. It will not be until 745 B.C. when a guy named Tiglath-Pileser III comes to power in Assyria that they'll once again start you know, trying to conquer more nations. So if, as we enter this time period, Israel and Judah have been relatively untouched by their enemies. They're kind of in a time of prosperity with more wealth than they've had in, in quite a while. And of course, they see that as signs of God's blessing, that things must be going well for them spiritually. And so these prophets will come on the scene to bring attention to the reality of the situation, that things are not going well, that they have turned away from the Lord, and that the Lord has not uh, left that unnoticed. We're going to discuss... Amos and Hosea. Jonah is also during this time period, but I, I want to pair that one up with Nahum, hopefully next time, uh, because they have a similar subject. So we'll start with Amos. He will come on the scene in the northern kingdom uh, around maybe the middle of the 8th century. Uh, there's different estimates, but probably not long before the Assyrians begin to put pressure on them once again. And he comes out as a relative nobody. He says that he was not a full-time prophet, a man who took care of sheep and sycamore figs. So he pretty much comes out of nowhere to give his message to the northern kingdom. And it will primarily consist of a series of eight oracles of judgment. This first oracle declares God's judgment against Damascus, which is a major city in the region of Syria. Now, that's Syria, not Assyria. It's two different places. This is basically to the kind of northeast of Israel, their neighboring country. So you can imagine the crowd of listeners is giving whatever the ancient Hebrew equivalent of Amen and Yes, Lord, to you know, bring the judgment on those evil Syrians. The next oracle declares judgment against Gaza and some other cities in Philistia, which is Israel's neighbors to the kind of southwest. The next one declares God's judgment against Tyre, which is a city in the Phoenician region northwest of Israel. The next oracle declares God's judgment against Edom, which are the descendants of Jacob's brother Esau, another of Israel's historical enemies. Next, Amos declares judgment on the Ammonites. Next, the Moabites which are the descendants of uh, Lot's children, if you remember that story. More enemies, more amens, more yes lords. And then number seven, in what probably seemed like the climax of this series of judgments to the audience, Amos declares judgment on Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem, their capital. So you can imagine up to this point, the people are probably 100% on board with Amos's message. Yes, get those dirty Gentiles, bring judgment on the southern kingdom and their self-righteousness. But then, number eight, in the actual climax to this series of judgments, Amos declares judgment on Israel themselves. Not only that, he also gives a lengthy description of why this judgment is coming, what Israel has done wrong, and it's very different from the previous ones. Uh, when he was addressing the nations that surrounded Israel, he was talking about things that today we may call crimes against humanity, uh, taking people sl into slavery, things like that, but with Israel... He's addressing things like, you 
were unfaithful to the Lord, idolatry, uh, taking advantage of the poor during this time of prosperity, which was probably a pretty rude awakening for Israel. We're talking about people that seem to believe that because they were God's chosen people, that his favor would always rest upon them and he would always protect them uh, no matter what. And Amos is saying that, you know, they're held to a higher standard, that he expects more from them because they're his people. So Amos will give a lengthy description as to why this is happening and give a lot of foreshadowing to the attack from Assyria that's coming pretty soon. And of course, as is usually the case, Amos ends his oracle of judgment with the restoration that God will bring about after the fact. That God will raise up from the booth that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruin and rebuild it as in the days of old. And moving on to Hosea, one of Hosea's key themes is covenant unfaithfulness. God will use an analogy to represent his covenant with Israel using Hosea's marriage covenant with his wife. Hosea will marry a woman named Gomer, a name which I have to assume sounds better in a Hebrew, and says that Gomer was an adulterous woman. You often hear people say that she was a prostitute, that he went and married a prostitute. Uh, the writers of my ESV study Bible say that that's not necessarily the case, that it just says that she was an adulterous woman in a very vague term. And they make the point that it kind of doesn't make sense for her to have already been a prostitute because the whole point is that Hosea's marriage to Gomer is a picture of Israel and God. And so oh, it wouldn't make sense for her to have already been adulterous because you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all flawed human beings. But as far as we can tell, they were faithful in their worship to, to God. It was the later generations um, of Israel's descendants that turned away. And so it makes more sense if Hosea married Gomer they had a good marriage for a while, and then later on, uh, Gomer turned away from him. It just fits the analogy better. Uh, but Gomer has three children. The first child is a boy, and it specifically says that she bore him, Hosea, a son. The second and third children, although it doesn't explicitly say they were someone else's children, it kind of conspicuously leaves out the fact that it was... Hosea, like it says in the first one. There's no indication that it's, it's his child. The next child's name would be No Mercy. An unfortunate name, but part of the analogy. Uh, and God says he will not have mercy upon the house of Israel. And here he makes a very clear distinction, saying he will have mercy on the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And that will, we'll see that play out when Assyria comes and conquers the north, but fails to conquer the south. The third child gets the name Not My People. An unfortunate name again but a picture that God has rejected Israel, and also maybe a picture that this is not Hosea's child, not my people. But through it all, God calls Hosea to be faithful to Gomer. He says to him, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. So Hosea and his family paint a picture for us of uh, God's love for his people and the unfaithfulness he often gets in return for it. Hosea will go on to elaborate on the things that they have done, um, the sins that they have committed. He will give us more foreshadowing of the invasion that is to come from Assyria. And he gives us a picture of the restoration. He says that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And I think we'll wrap it up there. Lord willing, we'll talk about Jonah next time, which is around the same time period. Uh, and Nahum, which comes maybe a century or so later, but is uh, closely related to Jonah. I think they'll make the most sense if we talk about them together. So 
Hopefully this has been helpful. Thank you for listening.